Welcome to the That Don't Fit podcast, a podcast where we're dedicated to talking about life and life's real issues that cross racial and generational lines. My name is Jared Torrance, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Farmer. We're friends, we're pastors, we're wanting to help people talk and process life in a crazy world. Welcome to the conversation. The foundation we're talking about today is, is one I'm very excited about, and it is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the title of this uh, message is Gospel, Fidelity, and Ethnic Harmony. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, that would be fantastic. The theme is that the gospel restores our relationship with God and with each other. And the main point today is that God is glorified when the gospel heals sin-stained ethnic relations. So there are um, two significant moments in nearly all uh, black African-American people who grow up in America. Um, There are moments where you, one, realize that you're black, and two, which is usually shortly thereafter, is that you realize that that's a problem. Uh, The first time I got called the N-word, I believe I was in third grade, Uh, which I'm learning now from talking with other people that that's actually a little late for that name to be flung at you. And when that name is is used, it it causes questions to rise. It it makes you feel, it makes you think, okay, am I other? And and, and that's the category that comes up. And and note what I'm saying. When I say it's a problem, I'm not saying that it's bad. Being black is not bad. I I, I love my blackness. I believe it is a part of the way that God has designed me. Uh, There is joy in that. But there's a difference between it being bad and it being a problem, specifically in America. And and let's not immediately pull back and rescue ourselves from that category and say, oh, well, his blackness is not a problem to me. Um, And stick with me here. But but let's not be so quick to so fully dismiss ourselves from uh, possibility of that being within us. Because I, I think we all recognize that those thoughts would be problematic. And so we want to push those away immediately, uh, which in some ways is good. But, but we can't put ourselves in the category of, oh, I would never do that. Or I would never think that way. Because mankind has fallen, because we are sinners. And so it's there, and, and it's something that, that we have to deal with. It's something that black people have to navigate, uh, specifically in majority spaces. But this shouldn't surprise us, because sin shatters relationships. It breaks them. Sin causes enmity between people. Our sinfulness results in underlying distrust between ethnic others. It's there, and we have to deal with this. Sin shatters relationships. Do you you think that I stand here right now with nothing to repent of regarding the ethnic other? Do you really think that I don't need to regularly bring my fears and my anger and my hatred to God and repent of these things? It would be foolish to think that I don't need the gospel to transform this area of my life. Our fallen nature, our sin affects everything around us. Nothing, nothing in our lives is not tainted by sin. And that includes our relationships with one another. That includes our love towards one another, both those who are similar to us and to the ethnic other. 
Sin has broken our relationships. And so we need to have a particular understanding of the redeeming power of the gospel for our relationships. Because more devastatingly, sin has shattered the most important relationships in our lives. Sin has separated us from God and set us on a path of eternal damnation and hell. The relationship with our creator was wrecked because of sin. And this is not unfair. This is what we deserve. And at this point, we, we typically make a beeline, sprinting as fast as possible to the cross and immediately feel the relief of all that I've just said. But sometimes it's necessary to sit for, for just a bit, to sit in that discomfort. Because without considering our consequences that we deserve, we can be hindered from conviction. And that can hinder us from experiencing true, joyful gratitude that comes from the grace of salvation. If we forget what we're saved from, then we won't celebrate our salvation sufficiently. And I want to argue that if we're not remembering the grandeur of the gospel, then we won't be compelled to have the gospel inform and transform every area of our lives. Because the gospel is a powerful thing. The gospel demands all of our lives be conformed to reflect the grace and the love and the new life that we have received in it. We need gospel fidelity, a true, uh, a, a true and, and intensified understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And true gospel fidelity results in a pursuit of ethnic harmony because our gospel is a gospel of restoration and redemption. So let's look at what God did to fix it. I'm going to read the whole section once again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Dead people made alive, sinners being raised up. And why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. N not, listen, it's not because of something we deserve. It's not because we proved ourselves worthy or held ourselves to some particular standard. No, we were actually dead and following the course of the world. We were carrying out our own desires selfishly, wanting nothing to do with the triune God. We hated him. We were children of wrath and he raised us up. Let's continue reading back to the text. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Guys, the blessings do not stop coming. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? 
Not, not to what we've done, but according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, thank you, Lord, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the gospel. This is God reconciling sinners to himself out of his love, redeeming us, forgiving us, lavishing us with his grace. The, the amazement of reconciling sinners to pure and perfect holiness, reconciling us to the one who is perfect justice, to the one who is perfect goodness, and to the one who is perfect love. We who are unloving, loved by the God who is love. We who are impulsive and selfish, now the beneficiaries of the selfless sacrifice of Christ our Savior. And the purpose? To unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. We are ambassadors of this gospel message. We, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. To shout out this glorious gospel and to have it inform and transform and redeem all areas of our lives. But as Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he gives very specific information and implications of this gospel. It's not just a, hey, here's this dope information, cool, get on with it. No, Paul continues with a therefore, which means because of all of this that I've just described, this is how you must live. Point number two, our broken relationship with each other. Let's rewind a little bit. What happened? Sin not only wrecked our relationship with God, but it caused enmity between us. Sin has affected the area of love and relationships with one another. Again, this should not be shocking or new information, nor should it be information that surprises us. Sin is why it's hard for me to love my wife like Christ loved me. Sin is why I selfishly put my needs in front of others and then act accordingly. Sin is why the entire Bible is littered with family and relational breakdown and betrayal. Cain and Abel, David and Saul, David and Absalom, Joseph and all of his brothers, Jacob and Esau, Samson and everybody. And the list goes on and on and on. And sin has particularly damaged relationships and love and brotherly affection that ought to cross ethnic lines. But because of sin, rather than our differences demonstrating the glorious creativity of God, we have said that our differences will divide us. I will not trust the ethnic other. And this is not unique to America. And so we need to address it. Paul addressed it head on. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. So what did God do to fix it? And, and remember, this is coming off of a clear and beautiful gospel presentation that Paul has just given. So therefore is, therefore because of the gospel, so therefore because of the gospel, verse 11, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Listen, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility? That is specific application. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Let's, let's finish up 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows, continual sanctification grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Listen. Let us not be over familiar with this text. There is chaos in this claim uh, that Paul is saying Jews and Gentiles are reconciled together. He, Paul is using violent language uh, in order to, to, to express how we need to kill the divisions and the hostility among us. But, but listen, here's what the therefore is. The therefore is Christ reconciles us to himself. Therefore, we reconcile to one another. And, and Paul is using aggressive language here. This because this isn't something that humans can stumble upon by mere accident. We're not going to float towards reconciliation. Proximity to the gospel message does not guarantee or mimic a pursuit of reconciliation and harmony. Church, if we don't allow the gospel to restore and to heal and to sanctify relationships with the ethnic other, then we will be overcome. By hatred. It, it, it may be subtle, it may be unspoken, but racial prejudice and distrust will continue to deepen and solidify and harden our hearts if the gospel does not transform us in this area. But the gospel informs all aspects of life. We need the gospel here. Paul is explicitly stating, because of the gospel, the walls of hostility have been torn down. And listen, Jesus' death did not shatter all ethnic differences, but it shattered ethnic division. Not the uniqueness of ethnicities, but the boundaries that were built on hatred. Hostility has been killed by the sacrifice of Christ. It must be an intentional pursuit as a direct derivative of the gospel message. So why do our cross-ethnic relationships matter? This is later on in the same book. This is Ephesians 4. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Our cross-ethnic relationships matter because the gospel matters. We are called to live this way. 
The gospel compels us to live this way. The gospel is powerful enough to reconcile sinners to a holy God. The gospel evokes praise and worship of who our God is and what greater result is there than for God to be glorified. Isn't that why we were made? We prove the gospel's power and how we live our lives, which to, to reverse it, listen, can our hatred and division and quarreling among us bear false witness against the gospel? Guys, we are called to live with an unwavering, radical love towards one another. We're called to replicate the incredible, lavish love that we've received from our God and pour that out onto each other. And not simply the ones that look like us or the ones that agree with us. Because that's, that's easy love. That's convenient love. That's love that the world can get behind because that type of love can easily benefit us. But gospel love shows forth the glory of Christ. How can these two who are so different love one another in such a way? They will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. People will look at our gospel-empowered, spirit-fueled love for one another, and it will point them to Jesus. The gospel is more powerful than the divide in our nation's history and the current divide that seems to be sharpening and increasing. The gospel laughs at that. The gospel is far more powerful than that. The gospel has accomplished cosmic reconciliation. The heart of Christ for sinners has overcome the hardness of our hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ is foundational and the primary motivator for pursuing racial reconciliation and ethnic harmony. It is a continual overflow of the love that we have received from our Savior. Gospel fidelity leads to a pursuit of ethnic harmony. Some see this passage as a uh, dealing exclusively with the religious wall between Jew and Gentile, that what Paul's referencing is just about religious differences and he's connecting there's no longer Jew, there's no longer Gentile, there's just one in Christ. Others would see this as because of this passage, no differences matter. In other words, we, the idea that we would have ethnic, ethnic or racial differences at all, it no longer matters because of this passage. So between those two sort of interpretive mindsets. How do you relate to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ephesians 2 is, uh, I mean, I want to say there's no more important chapter in all of Scripture, uh, more relevant as it relates to racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2 is a glorious chapter. And so, yeah, in terms of uh, what the relationship is, uh, you know, what's in view here with the, this Jew and Gentile distinction, it's a complex relationship. It's not um, uh, a, a racial relationship, technically speaking. Those are not racial categories as we understand race today, which um, I don't know that we've talked much about this, but race even being a category that emerged much later in history. However, the categories of Jew and Gentile are not only religious, uh, but cultural 
and they are <clears throat> ethnic. Uh, ethnicity being, in other words, Jews coming from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was a distinct shared history. Uh, and so, so ethnicity can include um, uh, that shared history, shared geography. It can include physical traits. JT and I are of a different ethnicity. Um, it can include culture as well. So ethnicity is sort of this broad, uh, this broad category. And so clearly, um, Jew and Gentile, especially when read in the broader context of scripture, deal, and so I have uh, specifically in view there, for example, the relationship between the, the Jews and the Samaritans, which throughout the gospels is, is played out as a major point of ethnic strife. Uh, Ephesians 2 comes into that context and says, here's what the gospel does to our, our relationships. Um, it, and what the gospel does is not uh, remove all uh, distinctions, what it does is, is removes the, the barriers, the dividing walls, uh, the, the, the divisions uh, you know, between um, uh, not only ethnicities, but, uh, but men and women, slave and free. This is Colossians 3, 11, uh, the Galatians 3, 28 text as well. Um, it's not that those are no longer categories that, that function in our lives or a part of, of who we are. Uh, it's that they are no longer things that divide us in Christ because we are one new man in him. Okay. Good, good. Yeah, it's interesting as, I was, as you were preaching, I was, uh, I was thinking of this idea of alienation and the kind of things that are going through my mind is the experience of alienation, what alienation produces, which is part of, part of our sin. Yeah. We were alienated from God uh, in Adam mm -hmm. uh, and cast out. Uh, in Adam. Um, one of the things it does, and you see it throughout history and you see it in our own lives, is it tends to produce a desire to find tribal identity. Mm. Who is like me enough to where I can identify with mm. them? Mm -hmm. And so I have to have a tribe to be outside the tribe. Yeah. And so we, we, we fight this, this alienation through tribalism, yeah. through God, I got to find somebody who I really can who can accept me as me. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that happens is, in order to have tribalism, you have to have, who can identify as the other? Right. Who is not me? Who is not like mm -hmm. me? So all, the, all my me tribe can now be set apart against the other. Yeah. And alienation produces this mm -hmm. me versus the other uh, that mm -hmm. goes deep into our soul, deep into our culture. Yeah. And the other thing it does is, if that's, the, if that's the taking place, if I've had to develop an, a tribal identity and my tribe has meaning for me, and then I have, I have to ad identify another, now I need to defend me and my tribe. Mm. And so I go on the defensive. Yeah. My natural tendency is defending self, defending my yeah. identity, yeah. my tribal identity. And I think it's really interesting because what, what this gospel does... Yeah is it takes away the tribal. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, it says, it says, no, I've put you in my own tribe. Mm -hmm. You now belong to the tribe of God. And it isn't based on what you find similar about people. It's what yeah. I have made similar about you in Christ. Yeah. It, also it also removes the other mm -hmm. because we are all sinners yeah. in need of Christ. We all stand in the same place. Yes. And then it, it causes the the answer to defensiveness is love. We're now called to love and live yeah. at peace. You go what you shared in uh, Ephesians four. Yeah. Um, 
live in the bonds of peace. Yeah. That's what we do instead of defensiveness. And mm-hmm. so there's a really powerful thing that I think is believers we need to recognize. And we need to recognize that that alienation wants to bleed through. Hmm. The good. old man alienation wants to bleed through even to the way we understand life these days. Yeah. Yep. I, w- I would say especially to the way we understand life these days. I mean, because you, you get that sort of us versus, and it's the whole us versus them, everything is dichotomized uh, across every category. Yeah. I mean, you, you get into politics in any type of way, like you see that all over the place. And what it is, it's, it's a misplaced identity. It's, it's a misplaced core of, of who we are. If we are Christians, if we are those who love Christ, those who once hated him and now have been redeemed and brought into that family, those who were alienated and now are united as one, that's, that's the core. We, we won't need these, these extra add-ons to be identifiers of who we are at the core of our people. Um, the political left-right divide is, is so uh, caustic and, and coarse and aggressive because there's that defensiveness that bleeds through. It's like, mm. go for yes, it. Yes, well, yeah, Ephesians 2 is about the church, not the culture, yeah. mm. right? If this is the, the, the one new man God has created is your brothers and sisters in the church, which means we should find far more solidarity with those in the church, even that brother or sister who votes differently than you do or who understands American history differently than you do, far more solidarity, solidarity with that brother or sister than with those who are not of the household of faith, right. whether they are uh, voices to the political right or to the uh, or to the left, what unites us is the Ephesians four categories: one Lord, one faith, yes. one baptism. This is the people of God, uh, which is uh, what Ephesians two is all about. Yeah. I think one factor, based off of what what you said there, is to understand the ways that our own heart uh, is the the, the problem. There's something about, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to talk about the church being a tribe, the tribe of God, we're the, the only tribe that's saying, do you want to know what the problem is when it comes to uh, racial reconciliation? What is, what is the root issue? Mm-hmm. It's our hearts. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone else yeah. is, is pointing fingers. Everyone else is saying that that if you want to sever the root of this ethnic strife, well, that has to do with um, uh, how you think about a Trump presidency or what the Democrats are, are doing or, um, or uh, what the news is doing, that the problem is this news you know, narrative, or this is why we rail against you know, uh, uh, cultural Marxism and, uh, and, and critical race theory and other things, or why we talk about you know, white privilege being the, uh, and, the, uh, and the, the, the disproportionate power of society. Everyone's looking for this is the problem. Yeah. This is the problem, yeah. and there's something distinct mm-hmm. as it relates to the vision of shalom and and and, w- and what the problem is that that comes only through Christianity, and that right. is the problem of sin, the doctrine of sin. Mm-hmm. We come to <laughs> peacemaking efforts, bringing the problem of sin, right. and everyone does it. Yep. Yeah. We all do it, and so that that it, that sin is the great equalizer, and we can't experience that shalom and that peace until we recognize we are the problem. Right. Until we humble ourselves and and realize that we that the whole problem is that I am bringing my old man <laughs> to the table in my efforts at ethnic harmony. Yes. Yeah. There, there is, 
there is a distinct, like a distinct spiritual joy that comes when two people have disagreements and they're speaking and they are making every effort to speak with humility. Humility is such a beautiful trait because it recogn- it's recognizing what you're saying. It's recognizing I've got blind spots. I've got things that, that God is working out to me. I've got, there's areas of my life and there's, there's, there's parts of my life in this area that the gospel needs to sanctify and transform. And I'm coming with that. I'm coming as a person who, who needs to be helped in this. If we're both coming to conversations needing to be helped, aware of that, and asking the Spirit to help. God is happy to answer those prayers. God is help, yeah. happy to help us in this area and, and to humble us and to use that humility, humility to, to grow in grace and affection and love, and that brotherly affection that we're supposed to have from one another um, and yeah. to outdo one another in showing honor. Peace is, first of all, reconciliation to God. That's our fundamental problem. But it produces, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. a peace in our souls. We're meant to have an abiding peace. And out of that abiding peace, we're meant to move out toward others mm-hmm. as peacemakers. And, you know, if I can appeal to folks in the church, it's just, how's your peace? Can you, can, you, can you look at your life right now and say, yeah, I go to bed with a sense of peace. Mm. <laughs> uh, I can't change anything. And it's coming at me faster than I can possibly manage it. But can I find peace? If you can't find peace, I recommend Ephesians, particularly Ephesians 2, as a place to go to. Because once you get robbed of peace, you lose a lot of what allows you to manage life in a way that's different than what someone who doesn't know Christ knows. So maybe as we turn toward a close a little bit, uh, Paul ends with this picture of... Be, of, the, of, of those who have been reconciled being built into a holy temple. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go there and let's just talk about, and make sure, maybe each of us can share a little bit, what does that mean for us as it regards to racial conflict, ethnic conflict, ethnic uh, differences in the church, mm-hmm. and then how we relate to the world as believers, being being stones being built into a holy temple. Go for it, JT. Yeah, I, I think that the whole image of, of these, these different parts and these different pieces all, all coming together, united to, to, to build a, a temple. Like if we're doing like a literal analogy here, like all these stones being put together, especially if they're, if they're cobblestones, just stones shaped in certain different ways and, and all these all these different specifics of each stone being made together as a holy temple, like being brought together for the purpose of being a place uh, of, of being an entity that worships and glorifies God. So when, when Paul is talking about all these differences and different people coming together, one way to practically work that out as we think about ethnic divisions and ethnic tensions is that we, it's, it's so, it sounds so trite and so overused, but we, we really need each other. Like w- when I meet with people and have conversations around race and ethnicity and, and ethnic justice and what's going on in the world, and I'm meeting with someone who is on a, in a very different place thinking about these things than I am, 
I'm not going in there to correct them and to shift them and to walk away with a convert. I'm I'm not trying to win people over to how I think. I'm trying to see how this other person who has put their their ultimate stock and their ultimate hope in Christ, how they're going to help shape how I'm interpreting, how I'm thinking about these things. Because we together, if, if we are truly all sitting under the banner of Christ, and that's our, our ultimate hope, that's our ultimate peace, that's our ultimate goal, is for God to be glorified, then there's gonna be things that God is going to use in the other person to help sanctify us, to help humble us, to realize we don't have all the answers, and to help us realize that we actually, literally need one another. It's, it's the whole body metaphor in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, we need toenails, and we need eyeballs, and we need pinky pinkies, and we need our hearts, and we need heads, and we need brains. We, like, we need all these different parts. All, all, all the stones, all the temples need a foundation of Christ so that we can be built up together, unified for the sole purpose of glorifying God. Amen. Great. Thoughts? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as I'm thinking, uh, first of all, I love that he says you're being built. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. This is a process, and mm-hmm. that, and that we're wrapped up into that. Yeah. You know, we two thousand years later are still still part of the being yeah. built. So I don't have to look around and say, "Man, everything is done. Is this it?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. And so as a local church, we're a work in progress. We're yes. we're not we haven't we haven't arrived in anything. Right. Um. And so it makes me have faith for these kinds of things. So I think, Lord, in every area, whether it's worship, whether it's uh, mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, we want to be faithful to what God's given us to do, but we're not going to ever corner the market or finish up any part of the building because yeah. God is the one who builds. We're not the builders. God is the builder. Uh, and it also makes me aware of the fact that God doesn't build this temple without it meaning to be a display of something mm-hmm. to those who don't know him. Right. The, the, the Old Testament image of of God drawing people to his temple. This is the only structure that is forever. Yeah. Every other human structure, every other thing that people are involved in will come to an end. Yeah. Only this yeah. will God say, this is, this is where I've made my investment. Yeah. And so, so as, as folks, if I can just put a plug in, let's be the church. Yeah. Right. Let's be the church in all its joys and all yeah. its peace and all its, and let's recognize that we're a work in progress and, and help each other uh, be the stones we're supposed to be. We can't, we're not gonna complete it on this side of heaven. Yeah. And, and so can we just like decide as a church that we're going to joyfully continue laboring on in this until we die? Like That's right. there, there's joy in committing ourselves to the mission of reconciliation. There's joy in the hardship of, of being sanctified and made to look more like Christ. Like we're not gonna get to a point where it's like, ah, we did it and we're done. And so can we just decide that yeah, we're going to do this. I'm here for this and I'm going to do it joyfully. And joyfully doesn't mean that it's going to be easy breezy. Joyfully means I'm going to have an eternal mindset as we're pursuing these things because I, I love the vision of the new heavens and the new earth so much. We are going to march and march and march together so that the world can see us progressing yes. towards this perfection that we will not reach yet on this side of heaven. But we're still going to progress that way. Yeah. Um, five years from now, it will be closer to that to that to that image. Ten years from now, we'll, we'll be closer. So, so let's just decide now that this is what we're going to do, and we're going to joyfully link arms and, and do this together. <laughs>